This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. Marcy Sutton cares deeply about the humans trying to use your site. In this episode, we talk about the importance of accessibility on the web, tools you could and should be using today, and the necessity to shift left, ensuring that accessibility becomes a discussion at the planning phase instead of a nice-to-have at the development phase. As a cherry on top, Marcy shares her strategies for doing work you believe in, even when your job makes that hard. I guarantee you'll walk away from this chat with new accessibility tactics and some practical career advice. This episode is sponsored by AWS Amplify and Infinite Red. AWS Amplify is the fastest, easiest way to develop web and mobile apps that scale. I bet that you're using at least one AWS service to support customers today. So you're already familiar with the limitless composability of AWS services. But sometimes all that capability can be overwhelming. You just want something that's intentionally designed to make modern full stack development easy. Well, Amplify is for you. AWS Amplify takes the power and scale of AWS and tailors it to your need as a cloud-based web and mobile app developer. Use it to spin up hosting, storage, authentication, managed GraphQL and REST APIs, serverless functions, and more. You can start using AWS Amplify for free with their generous free tier. And as your business scales, you'll only pay for additional services you use. It's pretty great. Visit awsamplify.info slash react to find a quick tutorial for React developers like us. That's awsamplify.info slash react. Infinite Red is your go-to resource as a React and React Native developer. They know these frameworks inside and out. Whether your company is Fortune 500 or fighting Fortune for an open co-working desk, Infinite Red can help you design, build, and ship quality apps. They've been doing it for over 10 years, and listeners of this show absolutely love having them as a friendly expert resource. Infinite Red will give you $750 when you start or refer a new project. Get expert React and React Native help at reactpodcast.infinite.red. Marcy Sutton, welcome to React Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Um, I have have wanted to, I wanted to invite you, but I kind of haven't had uh, gotten up the nerve. I think because <laughs> <laughs> you're just like a superstar in my mind, and so it was like it, I really had to like work myself up to it. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're you're here today. Um, I want to start by talking about some of the the work that you've done. Um, you've done such incredible work in accessibility. I think that you know your your work on Axe and your writing around that um, has really become so integrated into the standard tooling that we have today to you know build more accessible apps. Um, and so I want to ask you, you know, how did you get into this field, this you know kind of subfield of web development? What is it that attracted it? you to it and that continues to just get you excited well originally i was working at an agency as a web developer and you know growing my javascript skills and i didn't know anything about accessibility and i tell this story a lot that i was assigned to work on the target account at the time and target had been sued for accessibility 
and they had a great brand. It was like a match made in heaven for me to be this budding new developer who's compassionate about people. And I was like, wait, I can make the web more accessible for people with disabilities <laughs> and work with people with disabilities. And so Target's QA team, there were some blind people on the team and we would have these phone calls and my friend colleague, Steve Sawson would be like, you know, this is, this is pretty awful to use right now. The ARIA you've put on here is making it way worse than it has to be. Why don't you try stripping that out of there? Make it simpler. I mean, at the time, this was probably 10 years ago or more. And yeah, so the tooling wasn't as good. The browsers and, you know, accessibility APIs weren't as good. Um, and I learned to simplify because I was getting it wrong in the beginning, but I was so eager to do it. And I really cared, like, is this going to work for Steve? Is this going to work for people with disabilities? And that's sort of how my interest in it was born. I, I haven't been able to turn that part of my brain off ever since. Yeah, it's such a it's such a big problem. And so much of the web is inaccessible <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I can I can imagine that it would just like once you really start thinking about it and diving in, it's one of those things that just has like an infinite, it's like an infinite playground. Like there's no shortage of problems to captivate your mind with. No, and it's kind of depressing. I mean, I try to go find good <laughs> examples and it is a very pervasive problem still. I mean, even with all the talks, yeah. you know, I've done and other people have done. I mean, we've been at this for, for years. People were at this for years before I even came along. Uh, that's how I was able to benefit from, you know, blog posts and things that people had already published when I was getting started. It's still uh, pretty bad out there for accessibility, <laughs> but I see light bulbs go on all the time. And I've seen that influence actually change hearts and minds. And so I know it's it's working to some degree, but we need like everyone to really get on board and to try and resist these super inaccessible experiences that are still going out day to day. I mean, it's just, it's still a problem. So we keep beating that drum and trying to make it better every day. And fortunately I tend to land on the optimism side. <laughs> sure. so, it's cool. It's cool over here. You should come make this accessible rather than just being demoralized and depressed about it. It's like, well, today's a new day. Let's make it accessible. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the shining stars, the thing the the projects or websites that have really stood out to you and you thought, oh my gosh, like they actually did it well. Like they 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 got it as right as they could be expected to get it right. Yeah, I wish there were more examples. Um I catalog them on my blog, Accessibility Wins. Uh I sort of have fits and starts of finding content to go on there, but um the accessibility project or a a one one y project.com. I think is probably my most recent shining example. Um, Tatiana Mack worked to design it and they they redid it all and it's like bold design and gorgeous and accessible. And so that's a good example. Um, I really liked in terms of, you know, intricate mechanics and JavaScript heavier stuff. There was a, an application called Learn from Blackboard, like a higher education. Oh, um, site. I haven't seen it in the last two years, maybe. I, I did work on it for a little bit. And that was really cool to see how they handled focus management. And it had all these layers that would come in, which, I mean, all right, that design decision had been made. How can we make it the most accessible? Um, I thought they actually did it pretty well. And I got to take something that was already had quite a bit of accessibility and then add things and take it to that next level. 
So I want to see more applications like that. Like, yes, simplifying is great. Like it's easier to get accessibility right, but not every site is going to be a simple content site. Hmm. Like there are going to be interactive web applications that need to be accessible. And so that's really where my passion is, is like showing up to this space, like knowing it's JavaScript's not going away. So how can we make this the best it can be? And I think that's kind of the tension that I'm always, my internal battle is like this drive to simplify, but then I don't know, we want to make the complex experiences accessible too. Um, so yeah, that's really where, what I'm trying to do is get that message heard by developers who are creating these interactive, you know, complex web applications. And that's the stuff I really want to see become more accessible. Yeah. I, I love that because I think that, you know, in, in the, the, the era that we probably started web developing in, there was this kind of big push to like, how much can we do in JavaScript? Like what is JavaScript capable and really like pushing the edges of that, you know, maybe coming out of flash and, and, and whatnot, like what can we actually do with JavaScript? And now a lot of that stuff is um, significantly easier, right? There's a lot of libraries that make some of this stuff, um, you know, possible. And so the question really does seem to be turning to how do we, how do we do it well now? How do we do it better? How do we do it in a way that is a delight to, you know, sighted users, but then isn't ostracizing literally everyone else, you know? <laughs> and I love that you're at the intersection, like not just saying like, hey, let's opt out and just go back to HTML, you know, HTTP pages, um, but saying like, how, how do we get both? Like, and how do we do it in a way that, um, you know, pushes our industry forward, but then also honors all of the, you know, the people who are using the web and want to use the web. Mm -hmm. So I think we might just kind of like dive into the deep end, like really early on, but like what, what are some of the, the, the challenges, I guess, in this very interactive web? Uh, you know, your, your experiences put you in right directly in the middle of, you know, what's happening in JavaScript for all content. And I, I I'm kind of curious, like what are some of the challenges that we're facing right now? Like, what's the what's the problem that is right in front of us as JavaScript front-end developers trying to make the best, coolest sites we possibly can? I think the biggest problem doesn't actually have anything to do with code at all. It's the education issue. Hmm. Because what I see happen is, for the most part, like, sites that I see get launched have just zero consideration for accessibility. It's not even like, I tried it and I, it's not as good as it could be. No, I'm talking about like nothing, like completely reliant on the mouse, uh, which I mean, come on, <laughs> we got to do better than that. Um, so I think we, we have to start really at the basics um, and understand that not everyone can use a mouse. So like the, there's just that step one acknowledgement that having a mouse only inaccessible experience is not going to cut it. Um, and that's before you even talk about the type of technology that's being used, you know, like a React app or anything. And so I think mm. that awareness is the thing that's right in front of us that we could all do better at. And so that's been my goal is to make make people feel comfortable getting into it, having feel welcome so that it's, there's no shame. in you know, if your boot camp didn't tell you about accessibility, like that's not your fault. That's, 
that's the boot camp's fault. <laughs> I will I will say they need to do better with their education. Um, but it, at the you know fault isn't really helpful at that point. It's more about like all right, what do we do now? How do we get people on board? How do we make them feel welcome and supported in making things accessible? Because starting now, like the moment you hear about it, is the perfect time. <laughs> better now than never. Yeah, I think the education piece is huge because from there that it builds that curiosity and that compassion. And then you can get into more complex, nuanced topics of, you know, client side routing and or should this be server rendered or like all those de technical details are really just implementation details. And we need that like square one understanding that people with disabilities use the web and what an opportunity and responsibility it is to to actually make things accessible. I think that's super powerful. And so, yeah, that's that's what's that's what's right in front of us for sure. That's interesting because it sounds that's like that's really more of a like an empathy kind of human problem and yep. not so much a technical one, which I think a lot of us would love to have maybe a technical answer of like, oh, you just need to run <laughs> it through these processes and, uh, you know, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, the challenge with that is like, well, automated tools can only find certain things um, because, you know, limitations in the platform or just tests haven't been written yet. The tooling doesn't exist yet. Uh, but even if it did, there's design questions that a tool might not be able to answer for you. Hmm. Um, so that sort of critical thinking and understanding that will keep developers employable. <laughs> We're not going to get <laughs> replaced by robots. Um, I don't think because we have to have these critical thinking and analyses and those skills to translate designs into working things. Hmm. Um, and sometimes that process means talking more with design and, and prototyping things early to like get those things answered earlier because the the design has to set you up for success as a developer too. Like we can't just fix everything with Aria. I mean, you could try, but sometimes it is a it, the problem. Is you need to shift it left, um, as we say in accessibility. So. Yeah, there's all kinds of places where we can optimize and, you know, make things more accessible, but it really, really does start with design and sort of like the whole organization, you know, getting your PMs involved and leadership so they know what's like, if you don't include it, it that's going to be pretty costly when you have to come back in and do it later, which I think is why a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it earlier, you can really put a lot more energy and I don't know, you can benefit from making something innovative and accessible. And I think that's a huge selling point um, because it is so rare that like, if you're the one web app that is accessible, <laughs> we're like, we're going to be championing it. And you know, it's like people can actually use that. That can help sales because you don't have legal risks, you know? Um, so it, yeah, there's all kinds of reasons why it's worthwhile to do, but I agree. It is a bit more of a, a people problem than a technical problem even though there are really yeah. cool technical aspects to it. Sure, sure. Well, I want to talk about the the organization, the kind of the whole organization thing that you're you're talking about. Uh, but I want to clarify a term. What does shift left mean? I, I'd actually not heard that term before, so I'd love to learn about it. Yeah, so we think of it as, I mean, I think it's kind of a holdover from, you know, the waterfall style of things, how you have like, you know, discovery and you know requirements gathering and like design and then it like moves all the way over to development and QA and all of that stuff <laughs> I mean in a more agile modern workflow 
I mean, we could still think of, you know, development as like, all right, I'm a developer. I've been given this design, but like, oh shoot, it's got some, like, it's got some issues with it. You know, it's got like maybe the, you know, data visualization things they've got are like really like gendered in ways that aren't inclusive or this just has like, I don't know, it relies really heavily on a mouse and the style guide doesn't have focus outlines specified. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we have to kind of go back to the design team. And that's the shift left thing. It's like hmm. the conversation needs to happen earlier. Um, and so it, the back and forth is healthy. Like working, yeah. I think the most successful stuff I've ever done was early in my career, getting to pair with a designer and provide that technical guidance and a voice early when you know decisions are being made that then get presented to a client so they're not getting sold on something and then it gets handed to you as a developer and you're like uh actually <laughs> i don't know if that's gonna work like it would could be potentially more successful having a voice at the table earlier um and so that's you know kind of shifting it earlier in the process than sort of being in this like okay you know you hand it to me and i build it and i polish a turd so to speak uh, we, we really try to you know get get accessibility thought of earlier um, and development and design are huge huge parts of that yeah I, well I love this notion of being more integrated having a more virtuous process and I know that ideally like an organization would be structured to kind of have these conversations holistically um, unfortunately none of them are <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm curious what your strategy or what successful strategies you've had in shifting things left, being able to kind of work in an organization that has maybe these rigid guidelines where things just keep getting thrown over the wall to the next group and being able to kind of take that job, identifying the inclusivity issues with it and kind of starting that conversation over again. Um, how have you found the best ways to, I guess, introduce that to an organization are. Yeah, that can be really tough because sometimes you don't have, you know, it's kind of funny I'm talking about agency, like agencies working at agencies. You might not <laughs> actually have the, you know, quote agency to be able to make those sorts of changes when you're like, okay, I'm just here to do my job and, <laughs> you know, doing the best I can. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it takes getting it wrong mm. and having a lot of technical debt and just sort of like, it's painful because, you know, as someone who cares about accessibility, you might, it's like watching it in slow motion. Like you can, you can kind of like predict how it's going to end up, but you have to go through the motions and kind of see it fail. And then being a supportive voice that people want to work with, not the like, told you so, but the like, okay, how can we do this better the next time? Like being that voice that people uh, I don't know, someone who people want to work with and taking that opportunity mm. of seeing it not go very smoothly, like that might open the door with leadership to be able to present alternative ideas for, you know, making it go better the next time. Sometimes it's like a quick call to just sync earlier, you know, get get some feedback earlier in the process, you know, even if it's not a full prototype effort. Um that would probably, I mean, in organizations that are not set up to work that way, unfortunately, I feel like it would take kind of seeing it crash and burn a bit to then have those openings yeah. to suggest alternatives. But it is an art trying to convince people to like change their process. And that does not always go well. Um, I mean, <laughs> I've thought a lot about friction and, 
you know, what stops you from getting things done. And it can be very, very difficult depending on the personalities and the egos that are involved. And, you know, every team and every person you're trying to persuade could potentially require a different approach. Um, Hmm. And we talk a lot about what's called the carrot and the stick. (laughs) Like, does somebody respond to dangling a carrot? You know, the like, hey, this is really cool and altruistic. And, you know, (laughs) we should just do it because it's the right thing to do. But then there's the stick, which might involve talking to the legal or compliance team or, you know, getting the the bad feedback. I mean, I'm sort of talking about the stick, like wait for it to crash (laughs) and burn if you're not getting what you need by using the carrot approach. I mean, we sort of have to pick and choose, you know, what's going to be the most effective based on the people that we have to persuade. And that is, yeah, that's like managing up basically, which is hard Hmm. Um, and it's not going to be super repeatable because it's going to depend on you, you know, your personality, who you're working with. Do they care? Are they, you know, are you like in this perpetual battle all the time? Like it's really going to vary. And so it kind of takes some, I don't know, persistence at it. And for me that like how I keep that alive is always the thought of what's the end user's experience going to be like being a champion for end users with disabilities is like, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's how I persist through friction. Um, but I've definitely had to modify my approach when I'm frustrated. Uh, people don't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always get you very far, especially as a woman in tech, you kind of get tone policed. It's happened to me a lot where they're focused on the yep. style of the message and not the, the content of the message. Um, so I've had lots of time to experiment and, you know, try to find the best approach and, often coming with quick wins that, you know, you maybe you've already done or that you could do mm-hmm. um, bringing solutions and time estimates for how you could do this within scope, um, you know, being professional about it and trying to give team members and leadership, like every reason to say yes, uh, make it a yes, yes. And situation and not this adversarial like fight Um those are some of the techniques that I try to employ, but it can be it can be challenging. I'm not going to lie about that. And I maybe that's why people give up. Um, yeah. But I think about those end users and like, they're, they're going to give up on using your site. It's like, do you want people to use this site or not? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing, working on it, you know? <laughs> well, well, I think it's really interesting how you... It's very clear that you're embracing the challenge, right? Kind of like running into the into the spike, because I think that there is a a mindset that says, well, it shouldn't be the thing that you want because it needs to 100% be this other way and not embracing the desire that every company has to have something that like looks and feels cool to like their own capable eyes. (laughs) And um, I find this really interesting, and I, I think this is, I love talking with people who live inside of some type of tension, and it's really interesting to hear you describing this as, you know, the tension to, you know, want to do things that are, you know, stable and reliable for everyone and kind of use the tools that are there and already established, but then also that tension of like, you know, businesses are, you know, what pay for us to actually, you know, do this work and move it forward. And how can we kind of find some middle ground where we're working harder to actually serve both? Uh, but I, 
<laughs> I'm trying to remember who it was. Biz- business needs and user needs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Toomey kind of talked um, about that in one of our episodes that, you know, as a designer developer, like you're in this position where you're holding like both hands, you're holding the hand of the company and the hand of the user and living in that tension really is like your job. <laughs> and if you can't do your job, then you need to maybe find another place or like figure out more advanced strategies for doing that. <laughs> yep. Totally. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I think some of the biggest impact you could have to try and put more weight on that user side is to show your teammates and your leadership what it's actually like for someone with a disability to use the site. Hmm. Like, I don't know if if your audience has done much uh, usability testing, but like watching, you know, being behind the glass or, you know, just in the room watching someone try to use something and you're like, but just click here, you know, like you want to help them <laughs> just, so bad. Oh, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but like, that's not the real world. That's not how people use the thing. And watching someone yeah. with disability struggle to use it, like, ah, I mean, I don't know who that wouldn't affect. So I think if you're mm. really struggling to get buy-in, um, finding feedback from people who are struggling to use it, uh, especially like video of someone trying to use a screen reader, have someone come into the office I mean, maybe, you know, not around COVID time, but (laughs) actually exposing team members to the reality of what that experience is like, that's probably the the most transformative thing that you could do. Um, And there's groups that you can work with, like there's a startup out of Toronto called Fable. Hmm. I worked with them to do some research on client-side routing and accessibility there's another group called Access Works from Nobility, and there might be something local to you know to your area, but those are groups that you can engage with to to pay for user tests, like you know users testing your product or you know prototypes, designs, like they can review all kinds of things, and you get video assets out of it that you could then share with hmm. leadership and other team members and. That could potentially move the needle, like especially the I've hit some really big egos where they're like, well, my vision's fine. You know, I yeah. focus outlines don't belong in a style guide like those kinds of just like you are so wrong right now. Yeah, I, I can only do so much to convince someone having someone with a disability actually struggle to use it might be more effective. It probably is more effective. It's interesting because you see this in a very small way when <laughs> when people who are maybe responsible for making those decisions maybe have their first kid or something and they experience um it, what's it uh, the term momentary oh like a situational disability or temporary disability yeah yes a situation yeah yeah temporary disability right and it's like where now you're like you know shushing a kid and also trying to respond to messages on slack and it's like all of a sudden they come back from you know paternity leave with a whole new like w- vision for what's important because they've experienced these these disabilities for the first time yep yep or you, yeah you've got a baby in one arm a cup of tea in the other i mean yeah there's all kinds of things um i yeah and the sort of selfish angle it sucks that that works but sometimes it does i mean really yeah showing that you know just because you don't have a disability now doesn't mean that you can't in the future i mean repetitive use injuries or nerve damage or mm-hmm. traumatic brain injuries i mean there's all kinds of things that come up in life not only for you but your family members sometimes that appeal works 
I've really been trying to focus my attention on people with disabilities first and foremost, because that's, that's what accessibility is all about. I think yeah. for the rest of us, you know, who or for people who don't have disabilities, like you might have the privilege of that being temporary. Yeah. Um, and then you go, you can go back to the way you were. And for a lot of people, that's just not reality. So there's kind of, you know, some nuance and some balance there, to, but sometimes whatever gets people on board at the end of the day, I think, like, go for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Like you're fighting a good fight. Sometimes you have to take some uh, cheap, cheap victories to, <laughs> yeah. to, to get a win on yeah, the board. Yeah. Like my, my, I have some family who, you know, we have very differing politics, sort of like a uh, parallel example, not to accessibility necessarily, but like getting someone to care about climate change. If they just fundamentally don't, that politics don't agree with that, but they ski, I'm like, well, don't you want to <laughs> ski later in life? You know, all these glaciers yeah. are melting. Uh, so finding these, like, that's a selfish appeal to someone. Sure. Sometimes personalities, that's what clicks for them. And like, that's not great. Yeah. I'm not proud of that. But if that's how I can get through to someone by appealing to their selfish side, like I'm going to chalk that up as a win because it's better than the alternative, which is not convincing somebody of the importance of an issue. Um, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like at some point we're, we're looking for numbers, not like uh, morality from everybody necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. We're, well, what I'm looking for is a, a good outcome. Yeah. Um, I want to see, you know, uh, accessibility actually, improve. Um, so like, that's what I care about the most. I think in my own advocacy, I try to center and, you know, uplift voices that um, of, of people who need to be heard, um, you know, people with disabilities who have that firsthand experience, those firsthand accounts of like how blocking these barriers can be. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to do your grocery shopping online and you can't or your banking or whatever. And that's where the lawsuits come in um, is that people are trying to get live their lives online, especially as more services and products are going onto the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's hard. Like even if something is somewhat accessible, it can be very difficult to use. So yeah, the, the good outcomes is really what I care about. Um, and however we get people on board, I think, yeah, it's, it's better that way. Yeah. You know, you said something earlier that I misheard and I'm, I, I like my mishearing of it. Um, you said something about <laughs> when we were talking about shifting things left, uh, you said something about syncing earlier, um, with a YNC I'm assuming, but then yep. like the alternative is also to like sync earlier, like yes. to run into those problems <laughs> like INK earlier. Um, yeah. and I find that like a really interesting strategy because I think that, you know, I guess even in terms of visibility, like this is often a problem that is not visible to abled people and making that visible and kind of finding opportunities, working with organizations like you'd mentioned, um, Fabled or um, Access Works from Nobility um, to actually bring those stories into the product work is so important and kind of making that that problem and that challenge bigger than just oh a bunch of you know invisible people to this organization you know may or may not have a problem yeah well it takes it from being this classic thing we hear of like ah oh, that's an edge case you know we don't have <laughs> users with disabilities when you actually see someone struggling to use a product that that's not an edge case that's a person 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that can be truly impactful. And what I love about the the testing initiatives you can do with groups like Fable um, is that it's it goes beyond solving the one problem in front of you, and it teaches the team how to think and hmm. challenges your own biases. And that is life changing stuff. Um, it changes the yeah. way people work. And so, um, yeah, we were talking about doing more of that at Gatsby when I was there, and I sort of got the like well, why should we do this question, um, you, you know, to especially during COVID with finances and everything kind of like sure. getting tightened up a bit. Um, and I was like, well, you know, it's really teaching the team how to think. And that is a, a lasting impression that goes beyond any one screen or any one prototype. Um, and yeah. that, that information that people will take with them for their entire careers if done right. And so, yeah, I'm a big proponent of that, especially because you can get that experience surfaced to teams in a really authentic way so they can be like oh shoot wow yeah i really messed this up let's fix it you know it's like (laughs) yeah it's in front of you how could you ignore it at that point you know it's way uh yeah it's just a a huge deal to be able to experience that so i would super recommend it yeah i love that you framed so much of this in terms of critical thinking because i think it's something that you know engineer types can resonate with of like, well, I am a critical thinker, right? Like there's this natural bristling of like, well, you're describing me, but you're not describing me type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I love this notion because these are, you know, these are transferable skills. These are things that you want to, in any job, be developing in yourself so that you can take them to the next thing and the next set of problems that might look different. And, you know, challenging yourself, like this is an important way to challenge yourself talking about, you know, selfish interests just for your own benefit. <laughs> yeah. When your elbow flares up and you've got carpal tunnel and you're like, ah, I can't use a mouse anymore today. You're going to be glad that you enabled the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, we were going to kind of reserve this for the end, but I, I'm, I'm really curious. This has really lent itself, um, to, to talking about career and it's something we talk a lot about on the show. And I know that you've been in a, a a very abrupt career change. So you left Gatsby and now you're doing, um, you're working freelance. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, how, how are you thinking about that, that transition? Um, and then also what did you do at Gatsby to prepare yourself to be independent? So like during your time working there to, to be prepared for now instead of just kind of devoting all of your efforts to whatever the company needs. Sure. Yeah. I've wanted to go independent for a couple of years now um, for various reasons. I mean, really just wanting to be the sort of, you know, leader of my own destiny and, you know, I can make business decisions and not hit that friction. Like that was a big driver for me to want to be independent and, at Gatsby, I got to try management. I got to lead a team. I got to hire a team. Um, you know, I learned I don't want to be a manager, as it turns out. <laughs> um, and really, you know, I I never thought I was ready, you know, to be to go independent, or I would have done it much earlier. Now I know I should have just done it. I mean, I've seen people go out on a limb to do to start a business or do the thing. And like, I had my ducks in a row way more than I thought I did. But (laughs) really, the big transformative thing that I started moving in this direction was evaluating, like, what's my vision for my career and my life, like five to Hmm. 10 years down the road? 
where do I want to be? And I was in a van in a ski area parking lot, struggling to call into a one-on-one as a manager. And I was like, I want to be a ski bum part-time. I don't, that does not seem like I could be someone's manager. Cause I just like to, you know, have that disconnected time. I can write, I can code, I can like just be on my own. And it just was like, these parallel lives that are, you know, different directions were like not jiving together. And so yeah. like, that was the first inkling I had that my career needed to change. And so I just started taking steps to get out of management. And, you know, my next role at Gatsby didn't quite work out. I've, I have various, you know, life reasons, um, including a, a, you know, a pandemic and things, but um <laughs> Yeah, I sort of just got like shoved out of the airplane and was like, all right, I'm doing this thing. And it's been fantastic so far. Um, Yeah, and I think it it was made easier being, you know, 11 years into my career. So Mm -hmm. I already had network connections. You know, I had some savings that definitely helped, had some stability that made that possible. Um, But it's, yeah, it's been super worthwhile. I'm still kind of figuring it out. I think I'm in, you know, early in month two. Um, so it's, it's going, I'm figuring out what types of work I am fulfilled by what I have time for so that I can enable this, you know, ski bum van lifestyle that I'm dreaming of so much. But I guess my best advice, no matter what your people are into is to like, think of a vision, like, what do you, what do you, what would make you the happiest? What do you want your life to look like? And then kind of work back from there. Cause that's mm-hmm. super fulfilling. Like I remember having a VP of engineering. I was kind of getting pushed in, pushed toward project management, which happens to a lot of women, unfortunately, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not for me. I was like, I'm an engineer. I don't, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I'm signing up for. And I had this VP of engineering at the time call me on the phone and be like, you know, I'm, I just wanted to talk to you as a friend and say that I'm really proud of you for like staying true to what you want to do, because I wish I had done that. And it was like, I could hear him say it out loud. He was like, oh crap, that's what I should have done. And he quit and went back to engineering after that. I'm like, sorry. Oh, wow. Sorry, wow. not sorry. <laughs> I'm glad he went to sorry to have motivated you so well I, uh, what can just, I do yeah I was like I heard it the, he was going through the thought process and realizing it for himself and yeah you like you you get off track you kind of get like pushed into things and so I think it's really important to get that vision and that sort of like end goal of what you want your life to look like because you can you can like shift the boat a little you know hmm. take steps to move in that direction and I think anyone that's changed careers or you know, gotten more education and things. It's like they're doing that to get toward that end goal. Um, but periodically, you know, you might be comfortable and, you know, things have been steady for a while and maybe that's a good time to to reevaluate and see are, are there adjustments you'd like to make or are you right on track? Like, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever is going to work the best. <laughs> well, I think you bring up a really interesting point too that I, I want to press into a little bit is how much more difficult this is for for women in tech, minority groups in in tech, like how cuz you're fighting a a battle all the time just being like I I don't know how like best to put this, but like not like fitting the kind of mold today for like what the 
kind of engineering role is designed for, right? And you'd mentioned getting kind of pushed into management as as kind of a pretty standard practice for a lot of a lot of women in tech and getting tone checked earlier and how hard it is to stand up for something that you believe without a k- kind of falling into a like perceived stereotype. <laughs> and so I, I'm I'm curious how how have you managed your career while also managing all these additional expectations that um, aren't on you know people you know who just have the the benefit of being able to just kind of show up for their job and have it go you know pretty smoothly for the most part yeah well i guess the first thing that comes to mind is like i i have a lot of privilege and just the especially with my recent you know departure from full-time employment to freelance like that's that was made a lot easier being more senior like i said having kind of like stability in my life mm-hmm. that made that possible um, and that was a reaction to not having jobs that were quite right for me. Like I had a, a string of them where I think I, my career succeeded in spite of the difficulty I was having. It's like, I had a, like five or six years of jobs that were just not quite right for various reasons. And so I just have this like glowing sign being like, go independent, <laughs> like you, what you need to, um, because it was a struggle and. Yeah, I hit so much friction and trying to make changes that I think it took it like sort of crashing and burning for me to see it for what it is. Um, sure. Because it's yeah, tough to like make suggestions, you know, to products and things when people don't see you as like a source of where those ideas should be coming from. And so, hmm. yeah, I just needed a fundamentally different working experience to sort of break through some of that um, because it can be very hard. Um, yeah. Getting sort of like, I don't know, having a, I've like one idea that I suggested for Axe Core in particular that is like a huge shortcoming of that automated testing framework. Um, and I suggested the thing and it just like the, the friction that I met when I suggested that will stick with me forever. Hmm. Um, I think the GitHub issue might still be open, but um, <laughs> that's where other products come along, like and other jobs yeah. and other things. Like if you're hitting that much friction, it's probably time to go. <laughs> it's time to go do something else. Start your own thing. Go do other things that are going to be healthier and happier. Um, because like, I can try and change my tone and change the way, you know, bring more solutions to the table. Like, yes, that is really great stuff to do. You have to do that and improve that. And, you know, I'm going to keep working toward, you know, being an effective communicator like that. But sometimes people don't want to change. And like, how how long are you going to struggle through that before you find something that suits you better? Um, and so I guess if I did go take a full-time job anymore, I have way better questions to ask now, like (laughs) how are decisions made, (laughs) especially ones that impact accessibility? Like, yeah, if, you know, who's going to overrule this, um, and then who's going to be held accountable if there is a legal situation that comes up, you know, um, I know Twitter has been talking about that a lot of, you know, having accountability so that when they do ship something like Twitter voice that doesn't have captions or any accessibility built in that the people who overruled the accessibility team or whoever voiced those concerns, because I'm sure people are, um, they, you know, whoever overruled that needs to be held accountable for it. Um, Hmm. and yeah, there's all different scenarios and situations that come up and, you know, it's just this like 
never ending battle of personalities trying to do the right thing and, and balancing those business and user needs. Um, but yeah, sometimes it just doing your work somewhere else might be the, the solution. And for me, that has increasingly been clear that I could be more effective and happier being independent. And so lately that's been consulting with organizations, um, doing some training and, you know, things that like really, I feel like I can give like the most impactful part of myself back to the community and not have it be like kind of used up doing tasks that are unrelated, like managing a team's hmm. Twitter DMs. Like you don't need an accessibility specialist for that. <laughs> that that's <laughs> a fine thing that needs to get done. But like I tried to double down on what's the stuff that like is my unique value proposition that makes me happy. And then I know we'll make the web a better place. And like, that's sort of my, I don't know, my North star of where I want to get to. And my hope for other people is that you can find that, that North star for yourself, whatever that means. Um, Cause it's super worthwhile to like move in that direction. If you can, I guess not everyone's going to feel that way though. I should say like, sure. I'm driven by that. Some people are like, nah, it's just a paycheck. I'm just, you know, doing my work. <laughs> and there is nothing wrong with that. I think mean, do what you need to do for yourself. If that means having your work, just, you know, you compartmentalize and you, just get through it. And like, that's fine because your energy is going to your family or your other interests. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think for me, I found some success. It's seeing the light bulbs go on and seeing that impact be made. Like I wanted to keep doing that because I felt like that was a way to put my privilege to use. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Now I have a follow-up question in that same vein. Um, I know that you were in an education role at Gatsby. And I'm curious, how did you, you know, for people who are looking to migrate towards their dream, so they can't, you know, things aren't on fire yet. And so they kind of want to migrate slowly towards their dream. Um, how, I know you'd mentioned doing some accessibility projects in that role. I'm kind of curious, how do you hold on to both things? And like, what are some recommendations you have for people who are migrating towards kind of their ideal, um, position? Yeah, I think uh, for me, when I was at Gatsby, I sort of did some accessibility stuff on the side. It was like not part of my role. And I think the risk you run with that, uh, the biggest risk is burnout, mm. especially because you're putting, you know, you really want to put your energy toward the things you care about. And if those are sort of unappreciated or at worst, like at odds with your other job duties, and then your performance, like, if doing the things you love becomes like, you know, taking a bite out of your effectiveness at the things that get you your paycheck, that can be difficult. I mean, but it, I think it's really worth putting in that bit of extra effort to move toward the things you want, like people who go to school after work, or it's like those things the like to move toward the, your goals, you have to put in the work and you have to do some of that on the side. Um, and so for me doing the accessibility stuff on the side while I was at Gatsby was a way to keep that dream alive while I was ga gaining other skills, you know, trying to make an impact and, and that work did have an impact. Um, the client side routing research, I've heard, you know, Svelte and Vue, like other frameworks that aren't, are not React frameworks have been like reading the research, applying the findings, like, Yay, that's what I wanted. <laughs> but that was not part of my job. So I think finding opportunities in your job are the best. Sometimes it means starting a side project, you know, the sustainable thing that you can do to have on your resume, 
you know, find internal opportunities to maybe shift your role or your focus into the things you want to do. Yeah, I mean, you you sort of have to gain experience in the stuff that you want to move toward, either like through your full time role or, you know, adding on a side project or two or three or five, <laughs> however many you have time for just to get that experience if you're you don't have opportunities to do that through your work. Yeah. So it's it's funny because we barely touched on like the actual practical like parts of accessibility. Um, but I'm I'm kind of glad because I think it, that this touches on the I guess more like broader notion of accessibility, like in 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 a bunch of different areas, which is kind of you know having empathy and having intentionality about your your work and. Um, where you work and maximizing your impact and making sure that like your efforts in these regards are actually like seen. And you mentioned earlier on that one of the most difficult things about this is actually finding good education. And I'm curious, where do you recommend people go to actually find education that's going to help them in this in this regard, be able to have answers, be able to be seen as an expert locally with their company and uh, kind of move things forward, gain to add to the numbers of accessibility experts? So for accessibility education, there's a ton of different places to learn things. I mean, looking at the A11Y hashtag on Twitter is really great. And even um, another one is disability Twitter would be really fascinating too. Oh, wow. Um, Because you can hear from users with disability, people with disabilities, not necessarily in a web development context. Um, Let me find it. Disability Twitter. Um, Kind of those two sides of the coin, like the industry, you know, A11Y, which, by the way, is a numeronym for accessibility. There are 11 letters between the A and the Y, if you see that. Um, I call it A11Y, people pronounce it differently, but um, sort of the industry (laughs) side with with A11Y on Twitter and then the disability Twitter, you know, as another um, source of information can be really interesting because you can see what people are talking about. Um, you know, people yeah. might be sharing what they're learning or, you know, things they're struggling with. Um, and that's, you know, all the time. I mean, we know Twitter is like such a source of information. So I would look there. Um, the A11Y project website is really great. Um, and they're always looking for contributions to, um, there's, I have a, a resource list on my website that could help, um, because that has yeah. a bunch of books and tools, um, various things. I just dropped that in the chat. So I, I collect things there. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of learning material out there. Um, I've got a course on front end masters and a, a workshop for smashing magazine coming up in November. So yeah, there's no shortage of ways to learn about it. I think like once once that door is sort of opened, like oh awesome, uh, I I can like learn so much about this. And so yeah, people can hit me up on Twitter if you ever got a, a technical question or something. You know, if I don't have the answer, I, hopefully I see it. Sometimes I don't catch absolutely every <laughs> question, but um, I try to connect people to the right information if I can. And yeah. Um, so yeah, there, and there's, if you look at the A11Y hashtag as well, you might find other people who can answer you too. And um, yeah, lots of, lots of ways to learn about it. I think just having that awareness first and foremost, is like, that's usually the gap that we're trying to overcome is like, yeah. you know, the sites that get shipped that clearly like they did not think about accessibility at all. Like that's the, the bigger 
problem um because once you know about it then it's like oh okay i can google it there's a ton of information out there (laughs) (laughs) awesome well how can people find you and follow along with the work that you're doing and uh, your very excellent writing on the topic of accessibility and particularly accessibility in a very interactive javascript heavy world Yes. So you can follow me on Twitter. It's Marcy Sutton. And my website is MarcySutton.com. I've started writing more regularly, which is exciting now that I have a a bit more time on my hands. So yeah, there'll be lots of topics coming there. Um, I'm also in talks with Egghead to be producing some more learning uh, resources for testing and accessibility. So I have lots of stuff coming. Um, I also just added a mailing list on my website. Um, You can you know, subscribed for updates, if that's the kind of thing that keeps you informed. Um, I'll have lots of new articles and, and learning things coming out over the coming months. Awesome. Well, that is a great place to leave. I really recommend you follow Marcy's stuff because it is really great. And it squarely at the intersection of things that I think people, the technology that interest people on the show um, and then the industry at large um, but then also the technology and the critical thinking that's going to get your product to the most number of people and serve all of your customers really well marcy thank you so much for your time today for being here this was a it was it was a real privilege for me to talk with you and meet you today and uh, just kind of take an hour of your time so thanks so much for being here thanks for having me i had a great time This has been episode 116 of React Podcast with Chantastic and guest Marcy Sutton. A transcript for this episode has been sponsored by Kent C. Dodds. Thanks, Kent. At this moment, transcripts trail episodes by about a week. Uh, We're really hoping to close that gap to zero um, in the coming year. You can find that transcript, links, and show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 116. Thank you to our sponsors, AWS Amplify and Infinite Red. AWS Amplify is the fastest, easiest way to develop web and mobile apps that scale. Learn how to get your React app into the AWS cloud with hosting, authentication, storage, managed GraphQL or REST API, serverless functions, and more at awsamplify.info slash React. Infinite Red is your friendly expert resource for React and React Native. They've worked with developers and entrepreneurs like you to design, build, and ship quality apps, and they've been doing it for 10 years. Infinite Red will give you $750 when you start or refer a new project. Get expert React and React Native help at reactpodcast.infinite.red. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.